What is it called? Sorry? Virunga National Park okay. in the Congo. Um, they are they have gorillas in this park, and traditionally, you know, they've been funded by tourism because only one percent of the government spending went to conservation and the park. And they started Bitcoin mining in about 2018, 19. And because COVID came in, they would have been wiped out because there's no money coming in. But instead, this mining operation has built out public infrastructure of energy. It's built out roads, pumping stations for water. It's also enabled you know, economic development in that area because now you have power. Mm. You can set up a textile mill and employ people that would normally go uh, be in the militia or, or you know, something that is dangerous and you know not good for society yeah. and so you know they're providing this like local economic development that again isn't government coming in or like the un coming in or imf or the world bank like this is an alternative and i'm sure you've interviewed alex gladstein yeah. and he talks about you know the imf and the world bank and the progressive policies that have financial repression of the poor exactly and so this is this other option it's so optimistic yeah. and that's why i'm excited because uh, you know I've worked in the government and it hasn't worked yep. and like it's happening and it's happening in places like Africa that really need it. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor, and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard, hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start uh, a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm gonna do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the world's first startup accelerator program focused exclusively on the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what is possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to Wolf nyc.com today to apply for the program or learn more again that is wolf nyc.com mags granoska welcome to the what is money show thanks happy to be here i hope i said your last name right that was you did. took me a lot of practice it's polish but it's okay <laughs> <laughs> we are sitting here in jackson hole wyoming uh, i've been here for the bitcoin ski summit and for our audio listeners at home we're having a real life fireside chat so if you hear any snap, crackle, pop, that's what that is. 
Um, just by way of quick introduction, you are the you are an advisor with PRTI, which is in, an energy technology company. Can you tell us a little bit? I guess we'll get into that later. Actually, yes, let's start with you. Who you are, your professional background, your path into Bitcoin, um, and we'll go from there. Okay. Well, I spent a decade in government, and before Bitcoin, and then I found Bitcoin. And um, sometimes this path does intersect. But um, so I spent a decade on low carbon economic transition. So it's really how do we shift the economy? How do we move our grid into a place where it emits less carbon? Mm. And that's throughout all sectors of the economy. But I did work most with heavy industries, so steel, cement, the most you know energy intense industries in an economy. And it was really about how do we reduce their emissions, but also how do we keep them in Canada? Because I work for the Canadian government. You know, as we uh, shift our economies, it becomes a lot more expensive, right? There's a carbon price, electricity prices go up. So we need to figure out how to keep them there so that our econo economy is strong. Right. Interesting. And so you said you worked in government. What was that like? What were you doing? Uh, you know, we have pretty low opinion of government on the show, as I'm sure you know. So I just wanted to hear like what it's actually like in some yeah. of these. I think it's frustrating because it used to be a profession that was quite, you know, thought well regarded. Yeah. And as, you know, politicians do all sorts of shenanigans, reputations go down. I will say that policy advisors typically tend to work pretty hard. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times, too, because I worked um, around, you know, environmental types of issues. And typically it does attract those folks that want to do well because they feel passionate right. about it. Um, you know, we're there for a reason. And so... Uh, I don't have too many bad uh, experiences from the policy folks. What I do think is disappointing is a lot of times as you move higher into government, you kind of, you know, the veil lifts. And a lot of the times it really is about how do we get reelected again? Right. And it's not necessarily for the reason, uh, you know, of this makes the most po policy sense. It's like this will buy us more votes down the road, especially if, you know, they think they might lose the election. And this happens in the U.S., in Canada and and everywhere really because it's those short term goals right those mm -hmm. four term cycles and and issues like climate change or energy you know transition it's long term issue it takes decades of planning right. think about how long you know set, creating a nuclear plant is right, right, right. right and so that's there's always been that disconnect yeah. and because of that we have these externalities like pollution whether that's waste or or climate right 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 so it's um I mean, high time preference, as we would say in Bitcoin, but it's these broken incentives that seem to be distorting um, effective governance, perhaps? Yeah, it's probably, it, you're right, because the politicians' incentives are, I want to be back in power. Yes. Right. Yeah. What can be, like, what do you, total speculative question, but yeah. Bitcoin standard, what would, how would we fix that to make that look better? Just longer terms? Because then you get into the risk of like, tyranny right so yeah. some happy median yeah maybe it's just it could a i think it's changing like the two-party models tend to fail mm -hmm. i think more more collaboration too between government i think what the one problem that i've seen is one party is in power all this work is done let's say it's good work mm -hmm. right and then another party comes and because the other party implemented it they got everything right mm -hmm. so all this government money was spent ideas were formed, consultations were had, and then it's just scrapped and it's very frustrating. But it's not just frustrating for those folks that work on policies. It's frustrating for businesses sure. because they had certainty. 
you know, for example, when cap and I helped put in cap and trade in Ontario and, you know, that took a decade to to form. And then we we're planning the next decade on in terms of GHGs, how they would be, uh, how the targets would be met. And and businesses weren't more like we don't want it. It's like, tell us what you want us to do and get out of our way. Mm. Right. When Ford scrapped it because new conservative government came in, I think it was quite frustrating because that there's a certain business certainly that comes from we know what's expected right. and they hire the right people, they buy carbon right. credits, suddenly it's gone. So all that work and certainty is gone. So why would I come to a jurisdiction that just flip-flops around right. regulations and policy when I can go to a place that's going to be, you know, pretty yes. consistent because it's expensive for me. To comply. To comply. comply and figure it out. Yeah. So I, I love that perspective. I've heard it put that the stability of rules yes. is the bedrock of peace. So I give smart people well said. clear guidelines and they just figure it out, right? It almost doesn't matter what those guidelines yeah. are necessarily. Just, yeah, just, just give them. change them so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then your path into Bitcoin, like what was that like? <laughs> what was your orange pill moment? Yeah. Did you have a shitcoin? Oh, I had a shitcoin phase. <laughs> okay. It started with number go up. And I think that, I mean, that's not that special, but it is for a it's number of for people. Everyone, it is. Yeah. And so, you know, you buy that and then you're like, what's this other thing? Like yeah. Ethereum, you buy that, you buy ICOs, everyone gets caught up in this spousal. Shitcoin jungle. And then you lose a lot of money and you kind of find your way to Bitcoin because you, you start to dive into the fundamentals, right? And there's a lot of things that resonate because I did the low carbon economic transition, energy systems, it, you know, mining has strong foundations in where I come from, from, mm. from my decade in government. So I think that resonated with me, but I also have these family stories that reinforce my belief in Bitcoin that I think uh, is just so important to tell too so that others kind of understand and maybe they have their own personal story that will resonate with them. Mm. So for example, um, when I was young, we left Poland because of communism. We were trying to escape communism to Germany. How old were you? I was just five. (laughs) And so my family packed everything that they could into this little car and mostly it was stuff for me because I was like, I was a baby, but I I was young, right? Um, and, and the government messed up. They actually gave everybody a passport. Usually they give like two passports, not the whole family. And so my family's like, oh my God, we won. Like we can leave. Right. And, but even at the border, the lady's looking at it and she's like, looking at everything packed up. She's like, you're not coming back, are you? And they didn't want to lie. She's like, just go, just go. But they were scared because, you know, they have guns and they're like, are they going to start shooting? Yeah. But everything we took was just in that car. Wow. Um, but even worse is my grandma. She had this beautiful home she would tell me about, like luscious gardens um, in Poland. But when the war broke out and after the war, um, the borders shifted. And so what used to be Tarnopol in Poland now became Tarnopol in Ukraine. And she lost all her land. She lost her house. Like that was just taken away from her. And, you know, it's painful because she loved living there. Yeah. Um, and just thinking about, you know, just the whims of governments, shifting borders, like everything that you own is just gone. Yeah. And then a, a second kind of similar situation to like sort of family wealth and 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 heirlooms um, and what you leave behind is. Uh, so my grandfather, his grandfather was uh, an artist and he had so many beautiful paintings. Um, and again, war broke out. They were scared. They had to leave. So they locked the house. But when they came back, when it was safe to, it had been broken into and all the paintings were gone and he had nothing left. 
And then he was just telling me he was walking by and, the, and an art gallery had some of his grandfather's paintings. Somebody had hawked them, but he couldn't even afford to buy them back. And I remember looking at uh, seeing, oh, maybe I can buy one for him, but they're they're expensive. And it's just like, there's no way, you know, they're wow. just stolen. And it's again, a similar type of situation. So I think it's, it's you want to leave something behind for your family as a legacy. Yeah. And, and, you know, these stories of, assets that can be taken yeah. you know bitcoin is a little different <laughs> yeah wow that's powerful i i feel the emotion in that story and yeah it's it's easy to just kind of sit here and say oh you, it's money that is hard to steal right it sounds yeah. very kind of cold and cal but it's this is very real for people's lives like yeah. people that have had assets seized yep. or had to flee the country or like without any of their their money or savings or capital like that's a very disruptive life event yeah um so, and you have to start over and it's so hard to start over. Yeah. And so I, I always, I probably don't do a good enough job of this, but to come back to like the real human, this is not just abstract yeah. philosophizing we're talking about here. Like this is impacting real people's lives. So it's interesting you, I mean, you were very predisposed to understanding Bitcoin yeah. having had that in your <laughs> life. Wow. Um, okay. Thank you for sharing that. That's very beautiful. Tell me about, I guess we're fast forwarding a bit in your story sure. now. You are the, there was a Canadian exchange collapse. Like, yes. It was call it. the worst case of what could happen on an exchange until SBF, which <laughs> I think honestly copied what Gerald Cotton, the CEO of Quadriga did really? just on a much bigger scale. Wow. So it still happens. And yeah, so that was a $200 million exchange. And, and this is a Quadriga. Quadriga. Yeah. Yes. And so what I've, was your role in, the, in that? I was appointed by the Supreme Court of Canada to be a bankruptcy inspector. So I oversee the bankruptcy. I'm one of five inspectors and we oversee the trustee EY and the legal team that's responsible for it and all the creditors. And so again, worst case scenario. So he embezzled money. He bought lavish vacations. The CEO, right? The CEO, like, oh, I think he bought about 10 properties, uh, cars, planes, boat, you know, everything. Um, he took users' funds and he traded them on another exchange. He created fake accounts and then, you know, traded with other users, funding them with fake money wow. and incurring losses. He was a terrible trader. So there was $140 million lost. You know what saved us, though, was there was funny business of like commingling between his personal funds and user funds. And so CIBC held back $30 million and went into court. And that saved us because that meant we had some money. And those hard assets, those, you know, homes and other things yeah. that he bought, we could then resell. So we had about 40 million that we right. recovered, but everything else is gone. And so it just, it's a testament of like you yourself, self-custody is so important. Yes. Um, and then we see it again because it continues to happen. Even like, right. you know, the next four year cycle, yeah. you have an even bigger exchange that d did the same exact same things Gerald did, you know, bought hundred yeah. million dollars worth of properties this time, lost billions of dollars. And, you know, so it's, again, that story of only put what you can afford to put on an exchange and yeah. then self-custody yourself. Uh, trust everybody, but always hold your own keys. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That So it is incredible that it, that was what year? Quadriga was what year? Uh, 2018 at the end of it when okay. he died and right. then went to India, uh, sorry, went to India, died and then, but he had Oh, yeah. No, died in air quotes, right? Well, with doing, kind of. Oh, doing, Knowing that most of the money is lost because he traded it, you know, he had big losses, makes me a little more certain that he he did pass away. Apparently a body came. Um, 
the the thing is when you're when you're on the creditor committee sure you can make that decision do we want to dig up the body and find out but it's it's a matter of like what's the best use of user funds if it's not going to help us recover more funds just yeah. knowing that he's alive or not doesn't tell us where he is or the money is gotcha. so it's better spent on things like tracing or other things gotcha. because all the money that's left that's it and so it belongs to the victims right yeah. so it's an unsolved mystery Maybe so. Yeah. Maybe sometime something will happen. You never know, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just amazing that that's 2018. Yes. 2000, early, late 2022. Yeah. You get the same thing. Same so like thing, but memories 10x so or short. Yes. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touch screen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high-res 3-inch touchscreen. It's got a camera for air-gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand-new UI, UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it. Legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance. You got to have some insurance. You got to. There's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. Like, I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? So with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. Wasabi lets you use Bitcoin privately while still maintaining full control over your money. Specifically, Wasabi Wallet is an open source, non-custodial wallet with privacy built in by default. By using Wasabi, you're effectively putting the private back in private property. Wasabi Wallet is an easy to use privacy wallet that can support any amount of Bitcoin transactions. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download this state-of-the-art wallet software. What can we do? Like, what what are we what are we not doing? I guess to get people to get this to click for people, or do they just have to learn through these painful events? I always say on the show, pain is information. I, myself, I've had to learn everything the hard way, most <laughs> everything the hard way. Um, but it does seem there's a big advantage to be gained if we could yeah. not learn that way. Yeah, I do think trial by fire. Yeah, uh, is a powerful motivator for learning. Uh, it happened to me because I lost money in Quadriga. Mm. But um, and especially like having it happen earlier rather than later yeah. before the stakes are really high. Uh, secondly, I do think like we can still get better at user experience. 
um, you know, making it easier to do things like self-custody. And we're starting to get there, right? Like yeah. think of four years ago, it was a little more challenging. We're starting to integrate hardware wallets with mobile, um, which is, I think, you know, somewhere where we need to go. Just make it easy, make it tappable or something like yeah. that, right? So I think we'll get there. Um, but it's funny because like every, you know, for your cycle, sure, the money is bigger, but there's there's more new users, so there's right. more learning. So you're you're gonna get it, and then hopefully, you know, bad actors happen, whether it's in TradFi or or in, or in Bitcoin. Yeah. So just yeah, help your friends out. At yeah. Least. <laughs> I guess yeah. I mean, that, education. That's a reason a lot of this regulatory stuff exists. I mean, yeah. at least ostensibly, and I'm sure it does serve a purpose. Um, but in crypto, you just don't have it, right? It's total wild wild west, and it's. It's like I don't know if it's wild, wild west still. I, I hate saying that it's still the wild, wild west because, like, for example, Canada does have pretty clear regulations now, especially you know, like they keep putting out guidance. It's not okay, fair. perfect. And I know the US is more challenging because it's regulation by enforcement, which isn't the best approach. But I think the expectations are known. Yeah. And also, like, the industry has come a long way in terms of these are the best practices, right? Because we've seen all these things happen. We know proof of reserves are great. And some places do do proof of reserves. So there's a little bit of extra trust, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think we're starting to get even better in calling out bad actors and knowing yeah. like, just, you know, don't do business with them. But then like, of course we get taken by surprise. I know, was, yeah. Yeah. Cause that was, FTX was supposed to be the most trusted crypto. <laughs> I mean, I, after a collapse like that, it really reinforces the thesis that it's all Bitcoin and no yeah. shitcoin, yeah. right? It's everything else is a waste of time. It's all a scam. Hold your own keys, like. Because other than Mt. Gox, which was Bitcoin only, yeah. you know, we haven't really had a Bitcoin only that I can think of that something you know was quite, you know, like bad actory, right? Yeah. <laughs> and but but here's the thing: bankruptcies take years to work through the system like mount gox people still have not received their money That's and it's right, yeah. that was 2014 yeah you know fingers crossed that quadruga we beat them yeah. uh to the punch in terms of yeah. distributing to users but they're complex and they're only getting more and more complex as more types of assets are there sure as these exchanges start to do weird things like DeFi right. and lending and there's different classes of of customers yeah. so it just gets crazy i'm and sure the forensic accounting on all of that must be an absolute nightmare <laughs> yeah Wow. For sure. Wow. Um, what? So you think the law, your point that it's not no longer the wild, wild west, do you think the law is effective enough to prevent the next FTX? Because the reason, when I said wild, wild west, I agree yeah. there is some regulatory clarity, sort of, depending on what we're talking yeah. about exactly. But the shenanigans continue, right? Yeah. The Sam didn't matter. He was he was compliant, right? Yeah. And FTX are compliant exchange, yeah. but still yeah as ponzi ever so like when do we yeah. how do we get past that okay. aspect of the wild wild west for sure so i think there's two things there um one is you have to put in regulations that make sense um so that you can still for example uh, continue to operate in that country because um a it's you know financially you're able to versus if you just leave you're like well this is too burdensome it doesn't even make sense for us to, to open shop mm -hmm. we're exiting this country completely and then customers go to an offshore exchange right mm -hmm. so you don't want to make them so that you know okay for example you know uh canadian government was kind of lo looking at custody and saying well you have to keep everything in a qualified custodian including your caught wallet like this is something they were contemplating at right. the point. I remember this. It really doesn't make sense to you know, like a hot wallet is mm -hmm. those funds that are being traded and sent in and out. Mm -hmm. So 
if you want them at a custodian, that means that the exchange then has to have their own funds that are available to clients. Um, and that's a big risk for them. So that's something like, you know, weird like that would make it, you know, not logical to operate. Um, other things like the U.S. infrastructure bill, right, around nodes um, and miners like putting, a, you know, um putting stricter rules around it. it didn't make sense and it was almost like it's an infrastructure bill but it's mm-hmm. going to destroy the digital infrastructure yeah. so so you have to you know i think the big issue is they haven't talked enough with industry to understand what's feasible what isn't mm-hmm. and again they're trying to you know square peg round hole like mm-hmm. we have these traditional regulations so we're just going to try to fit yeah. it in i think sometimes you really do have to scratch the board i love what el salvador is doing right they they put in the Bitcoin law. It was quite simple. And they're like, well, we're, we're repealing everything that doesn't make sense. And now they're starting to build on top of that. Mm-hmm. They're starting to put in securities regulations, but new ones. Yes. And so, I'm, you know, that's the kind of work that I think needs to be done. Something that makes sense for the industry, not an industry, you know, not right. laws that were written 130, yeah. you know, and yeah. New laws so. for new technolo- technological exactly. paradigms. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Or at least meet us in the middle. Yeah, right. <laughs> And when I was in El Salvador with Max and Stacy, yeah, uh, Stacy described that securities framework in El Salvador as like an anti shitcoin securities <laughs> framework. But That's I think good. that it's is pay dividends. I would I would say it's kind of moving in that direction too in the U.S. and also in in Canada, right? Yeah. Dep- you know, there's Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and then there's other securities, and and you know the, you get like little differences in every country, but it kind of seems to be where it's going. That's good. That's good. Let's talk about PRTI. Let's. What is PRTI? You told me something that has something to do with waste tires and yes. energy production and maybe some Bitcoin mining. Totally. All those great things. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of it as a digital refinery, maybe. Um, so what PRTI does is it takes tires. And so there's 350 million tires throughout in the US every year. That's a tire per person. A billion tires globally. And that's just every year. Not to count all the tires that are in landfills. It's a huge problem, Well. And you can't, so you used to take tires and chop them up and put them in um, soccer fields Mm -hmm. or like kids' playgrounds. A lot of places are making it illegal now, like in Europe and some states in the U.S., because there's volatile compounds that are toxic, that are released, that actually have harmful effects on humans. So there's one solution that used to exist that isn't there anymore. Some landfills are starting to ban landfilling of tires because it, it has toxic it, it leaches into the ground toxic chemicals so again like here's so here's a real problem we continue to manufacture tires mm-hmm. tires are really hard to de- to dispose of because um you know they're made in a way so they can take a pounding on the right, road right, right. right so it's hard to do something with it right. because of how they're structured yeah. and so we come in with this technology where we have a vertical reactor we put the tires in we kind of like bake it. It's called thermal deconstruction. So you're destruct- deconstructing it with higher temperatures, about yeah. 250 degrees. And in about 11 hours, you get several different products that are all useful. Yeah. So one is an oil okay. that can be burned in diesel generators for power. Uh, one is a synthetic gas, like natural gas. Okay. There's a black carbon type of product that currently we sell it to another company. It has BTU content, like coal. Okay. And then the third is steel, because 25% of a tire is steel to give it that rigidity. Oh, that's right. So that steel can be sold for scrap. And so we have four products that we can sell. But at any point, all the energy products, we can use them to make energy and mine Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So we can mine landfills 
and get the best part is actually we get paid to take the tires in right wow. we don't pay for power like we get paid to take, to take raw materials exactly wow. and we can sell all the products so that gives us optionality yeah. so if we're on an island nation for example hawaii um, Puerto Rico, where it's A, expensive to dispose of things because there's limited land, right. right? What do you do with it? Or B, um, power is expensive because you don't have the natural resources that perhaps Canada's, we have tons of oil yeah. or Saudi, you know, the Saudis. And so you're, you're looking, you know, you have two kind of problems that you can tackle with our technology. Right. The, the downside is we do need to build those reactors. So there's an infrastructure cost, okay. but the operating costs, because usually, you know, energy is expensive. It's effectively subsidized, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's, yes, I guess so. Because you have still have to look at the depreciation of your. Right. I was just thinking the tires, if they're paying you to take them in, and yeah. that's the raw material with the process, it's kind of like a, a natural subsidy. It is, way. yeah, but yeah. it's more than a subsidy because you're yeah. getting paid, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a subsidy implies that it drops the price. I'm like subsidizing your operating costs. Yes, yeah. that that's a yeah. great way of thinking of it. Yeah. yeah, and so, and I think what's really exciting there is it's like, here's an environmental problem, right, that has a solution, and it's, again, a market-based solution. It's yeah. not like, the government saying it's illegal now to mm -hmm. to do something with tires. So you have to think of something else. It's like, no, sure, we'll gladly take them because we yeah. can make money, you know, using it. And so, you know, Bitcoin mining, you can mine Bitcoin off of it, and we do, and um, and 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 that's awesome. But you can also just, you know, stick it in, for example, Africa or another country like this island nation, and provide energy security to that place. And I think that's really exciting too, is having that optionality. Yeah. And if it's a bear market. Just sell the energy. Just sell the energy. <laughs> right. Wow. That's a very interesting yeah. business model. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Bitcoin Conference 2023. This three-day event will be held May 18th through 20th in Miami Beach. Uh, this is going to be the biggest event of the year, as it always is. And the past two years in Miami have simply been amazing. Uh, day one's industry day. Days two and three are going to be open to general admission. And I'd say this is a great place to go and network with Bitcoiners or even look for a job. Uh, just a really all around great experience. There's a fantastic speaker lineup, including Michael Saylor, Zoltan Pozar, Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, many others. And last year we did a 10 million sats giveaway for this event, and we're going to do it again this year. So to get discounted tickets and enter for a chance to win 10 million sats, go to b.tc slash conference and use code BREEDLOVE. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code breedlove and that's being well received i imagine i mean i think so we, we kind of uh have been laying low because um the reason why is that the group of folks involved we want to make sure that everything's been tested like, it's been running since 2016 like mm -hmm. it has you know 10,000 start stops and like 100 over you know so many hours of operating 
And it's just like, we want to make sure everything's perfect and right. And and it's been working for so long. Like we're, we're set, like it, it works, right? Yeah. And we're setting up another site in, in West Virginia. And, and so, and then after that, another 10 sites and we could have up to 800 sites all around the world. Wow. Yeah. And, and so the, the funny part, well, not funny, but so everybody tends to focus, you know, on Bitcoin mining and the carbon impact. And there are places coming in where you can reduce GHGs like from landfill gases or farming. But everyone focuses on carbon, but there's like, but Bitcoin and, you know, the network and, and everybody involved, the participants like miners, we have solutions for other major global issues, mm-hmm. right? And and just think about it too. It's not just like the energy side, like there's humanitarian thing, you know, things that come into play too. And this is why I'm so excited about mining is because, so think about Africa for a minute, right? We are so lucky because we have lights, right? We can charge our phones. We have power. We have water when we turn on a tap. But in so many places there, like, they don't. They have to carry water. Um, everything shuts down when it gets dark. And and we have miners coming in to Africa, and they're subsidizing public infrastructure. You know, they're building small, you know, run-of-the-river hydro, um, local, like a small, small local energy grid. Mm pumping stations for water, right? You can charge your phones, roads. And and so, and that's the reason why is because a Bitcoin miner has come in in a place where traditionally, you know, you need you need a commercial um, or an institutional or, or industrial player that can support the build out of that infrastructure. And by having a customer that's going to be buying 24-7, 365, you then can go, for example, get money in the bank, and and they're like, yes, of course, we know we know this can be profitable. And the exciting thing is, is this isn't just relevant to Africa, right? It's relevant to Texas, where the same thing is happening. Miners are co-locating with uh, renewable energy producers, and because of that, you know, the project is more likely to get built, get over that hurdle rate. And so, and this can happen in places like Canada, where we still ship diesel in to um, disconnected like grid disconnected places. So like this, this works, doesn't matter where, like all around the world. And it's not the government, you know, tax, it's not the taxpayer that's funding this. It's not the ratepayer, which are the users of the electricity system. It's like this other third pocket, which is like Bitcoin mining and the Coinbase reward that is given is incentivizing, you know, this. So that's why I love mining. It's like this elegant system of uh, economics that provide these incentives that aren't like, you know, the negative incentive, like the stick of government right, right, right. saying this has to happen or taking from the public yeah. sector and, or sorry, public dollars and figuring out what's the best way to allocate. Yeah. Well, the best way to allocate is a market-based incentive. That's right, so I think that's why it's exciting because like I said, I worked for government for a decade on low carbon economic transition and we're still not getting where we thought we would be a decade ago mm. because government is reluctant to put in, you know, like the targets to make, to ratchet them up to where mm-hmm. we need to go. And there's not enough money. We need trillions of dollars of infrastructure spending, whether it's the private sector or the public sector, that hasn't been spent. So those goalposts move, right? Mm-hmm. Carbon goalposts. Now we're talking like 2060 carbon right. neutral or, or or whatnot. And so take that all away. And it's like, here's another option. And we're getting those, you know, taking care of those negative externalities, whether that's waste, right? Whether that is carbon. Yeah. And and it's it's starting and and I'm glad these stories are starting to be told. And I will tell you my favorite story. Okay, please. <laughs> so this is Virunga National Park. 
Um, what is it called? Sorry? Virunga National Park yeah. in the Congo. Um, they are they have gorillas in this park, and traditionally, you know, they've been funded by tourism because only one percent of the government spending went to conservation and the park. And they started Bitcoin mining in about 2018, 19. And because COVID came in, they would have been wiped out because there's no money coming in. But instead, this mining operation has built out public infrastructure of energy, has built out roads, pumping stations for water. It's also enabled you know, economic development in that area because now you have power. Mm. You can set up a textile mill and employ people that would normally go uh, be in the militia or, or you know, something that is dangerous and you know not good for society yeah. and so you know they're providing this like local economic development that again isn't government coming in or like the un coming in or imf or the world bank like this is an alternative and i'm sure you've interviewed alex gladstein yeah. and he talks about you know the imf and the world bank and the progressive policies that have financial repression of the poor exactly and so this is this other option it's so optimistic yeah. and that's why i'm excited because you know I've worked in the government and it hasn't worked yeah. and like it's happening and it's happening in places like Africa that really need it. Yeah, sure. You know, an ETF would be great in the U.S. But like what makes us happy is seeing like these positives, you know, crop up because of these yeah. economic incentives. That's so, yeah. amazing. Yeah. So it's almost <laughs> like Bitcoin's picking up the slack where government has fallen down. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is where it's amazing to me when like stories like that really make me think we are extremely early because yeah. if anyone if it was if there was a general awareness about that story you just shared i mean people would be head over heels for bitcoin like we all are right it, it fixes so many things yeah um what it, like so toward that end that beautiful story like how can we accelerate the replication of that in other places yeah, yeah. so one i think what you said, telling stories is helpful. So we can take these stories back, whether it's El Salvador, right? Whether it's Africa. And because our governments have the same issues, right? Like Texas and how do we fund renewables? How do we fund low carbon transition with, you know, North America? Like here's a real story. And and they're happening at kind of a micro scale too in the US and in Canada, right? And there's really cool stories. And it's it's a matter of talking to them, but it's fresh, it, it is frustrating because there tends to be a partisanship Right. Both in Canada and the U.S., it tends to be, um, you know, those in the more conservative sides of government mm -hmm. that kind of understand that more. But that education is so critical. And I feel like it's it's been lacking, um, especially in Canada. But also, you know, telling those stories just to the global world. And I think we're all at least in, you know, in our circles, we're not relying on mainstream media as much these days. Right. People right. are listening to podcasts like yours. Um, yeah, social media Rogan yeah you know things go viral a lot quicker and so finding those channels to go viral maybe tick I'm not a TikToker but yeah. there's other ways right no, and these and and I'm using Nostra a lot more too um and and you know that's something that you cannot block that story you can't block someone can't like twist the words or make it fit their you know yeah. local narrative so I think that's an important piece too um and honestly like time it's not even like yeah. anything. It's like with more time, because I know there are really cool projects being built, right? Like Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin is infiltrating every part of our society, mm -hmm. like agriculture, right? There are farms in Mexico and in, in, in Europe that are taking waste, like animal waste, again, poop, right? Mm -hmm. Powered by poop miners. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're taking the methane and converting it to energy. And they're actually reducing GHGs because methane is a much more potent greenhouse gas yeah. than, than 
uh, CO2. So when you burn it, you convert it. Landfills, right? Yeah. Big problem. And this leaking methane, potent greenhouse gas. We're starting to have companies set up um, farms that collect and burn off that. Same thing with, uh, you know, um, methane flaring in the oil and gas sector. So these are different sectors that miners are coming in. And I already talked about the waste management. And so we're funding that infrastructure, right? The infrastructure that captures and, and reduces carbon. Um, and I think that's that's pretty special. And the more we infiltrate, right, the more these stories will, will get told because now you have farmers that are on our side and farmers have always been historically a powerful stakeholder when talking to government, right? Government listens. So now we have farmers on our side. We have oil and gas uh -huh. on our side because, you know, we're helping their industry. Also with a lot of influence on government. Exactly. Yeah. And and there's like really cool projects. Like there's a district heating project, Mint Green in Canada, that's helping the city reduce GHGs because we're 98% electric, uh, sorry, 98% renewable on mm -hmm. our electricity grid. So they're fuel switching for the natural gas that traditionally heats the city's right. buildings. And so these stories, you know, the more there'll be more and more and more in more cities and that will get told more and more, whether it's the mayors talking to, right. you know, provinces or states and then to the federal government. So, again, time like all we need is time because these stories are starting to leak out to mainstream media, like Virunga National Park story with saving the gorillas through Bitcoin mining. <laughs> and so over time, you know what? It's this force. It's like Satoshi's quote, right? Like if, if you don't understand it, um, if you don't get it, I don't. If you don't get it by now, I don't have time to explain yeah, it to you. Exactly, because like yeah, yeah. you know what, you'll get it eventually. <laughs> yeah, get it at the price you deserve, as so many people say. <laughs> um, yeah, that's. I agree with all of that. I really do. <clears throat> it's a little bit unfortunate, though, right? It, at least when I and I don't consume much mainstream media at all, but when I do see these clips on Twitter and whatnot, we're very far from that that narrative, right? It's the opposite, actually. It's Bitcoin's boiling the oceans and blah blah blah. <laughs> and you just feel this kind of sense of despair for the world when I yeah. see stuff like that. Because as you're saying, like it, I want to say it saves the world, but man, it solves so many problems. Yeah. You know, um, Ryan Gentry the other day presented here and he just had that list. I wish I had it in front of me, like <laughs> all the problems Bitcoin solves. Yeah. And it's, um, I guess I feel a little down that more people don't understand that yet. Yeah. Um, but Every problem is an opportunity, right? So that's why we're on the show talking and, about this stuff. And I think too, like the people that are in this space are so uh, positive and optimistic about the future and that ref that's reflected in their passion. And brilliant and of beyond imagination. <laughs> like there's so much brain power. In exactly. And so, and it's hard to fight a fight against people that are passionate. Good hearted. I think they're going to win. Smart, and good hearted. Passionate yeah. people, honestly. Yeah. I, yeah. This has been like, this cultural experience, I'm talking about the Bitcoin Ski Summit here that we've been attending yeah. the past few days. I'm an introvert, but man, I actually get energized by these, yeah. by this culture. As the ideas are just flowing from everyone all the time. Like you can't not have a stimulating conversation. And I'm like, how could any other humans in the world outcompete these humans? Like these, they're just, <laughs> you're at the cutting edge of we've everything. We've got this moment. Bitcoiners I know. are at the cutting edge of everything. Which is why it's so hard. It's like, I need to learn monetary theory, you know, how how an energy system works, yes. how the Fed works. And that's why they're like, ah, I'm going back to my Kardashians <laughs> or whatever, like brain tree. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very optimistic about Bitcoin and Bitcoiners' future, and even more so after this. Um, Anything else, any parting thoughts you want to leave us with? Or anything you're especially excited about in Bitcoin at the moment? 
I mean, I, I think it really is just, you know, it, it's the intersection of so many pieces that we're building this momentum and we're picking up, we're steamrolling. And it's like that China, it, Japanese game where you like start to pick up small objects mm-hmm. and you pick up, you know, a house, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, right. you know, it's like this little ball the that collects effect. things, yeah. that snowball. And, and that snowball is picking up industry by industry, mm-hmm. sector by sector, <laughs> you know, and, and I think it's, like what's next right it's it's only going to get bigger it's going to pick up something bigger so i think uh, i think you just articulated a, a great video meme you know some <laughs> little bitcoin just picking up a shell. yeah so so i'm excited because because it intersects these many things there are potential again you're right maybe it doesn't fix everything but it does provide you know a plan b like an alternative solution that i think you know can further humankind yes and empowering the entrepreneurial enterprise yeah. right just to be able to use a money that actually works and it's not going to get seized yeah you know gives it's just empowering that human autonomy to go out and solve problems um independent of government or whoever else might try to stop you yeah so really powerful so mags thank you for doing this it's a pleasure really enjoyed our fireside chat likewise where can people find you on the internet oh well i'm on twitter at crypto underscore mags Whenever LinkedIn, Magdalena Granowska or Megs Granowska at the next Bitcoin event. <laughs> All right, Miami? Uh, maybe. I know it's so big. I'm yeah. I'm thinking I'm leaning towards Prague. Prague. Okay, I'll be yeah. at Prague. Okay, we cool. We both, yeah. Awesome. Thank you again for doing this. Thank you. All right.